Here we go. Today, the last day of August, August the 31st, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. With me will be Wes Reimnitz as we take a look again at a subject that may be of interest for you on this law and gospel. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. A little better weather, a little cooler. How about in Springfield, Illinois? Is it still cooler? I had to put on a jacket this morning. It was so cool. In the house? Yeah. Wow. Still had a furnace on. Yeah, we have covers. Uh, Takes care of us. When I get up, I get out of the covers and I put on a a, a vest to keep me warm. Yep. No, good idea. All righty. We really appreciate the article that you found because it has an idea in it I've never really thought about before. It's by Robin Schumacher. The main reason people ditch God. And he begins by talking about that he had a flurry of your in-the-face confrontations over God lately. The first one he mentions is a person that he was talking to at a funeral. The person went on with an extended rant that pinballed in every direction and included himself being peppered with so many questions, starting with, how can you believe that, that I lost count? Uh, He gives another example. Uh, What's that one? Well, there's a 30-something girl who bailed on faith after a terrible failed marriage to a person in the ministry who, by the way, turned out to be a moral failure, which included extra heavings of guilt thrown onto her by loving members of the church where she used to attend. Yes. And then the third one is a woman who was raised in the faith but now views Christianity as repressive and kicked it to the curb because of her sexual and other moral preferences. So it's been quite a scene. He, he talks about an article that he had wrote some years back. What was it about? Well, anyways, on three reasons, people rejected faith, and all of them were present present in these encounters with the ever-present dislike of God's moral law. Yes. Which, Go ahead. Which, which you know, as as we develop this, it kind of runs counter to Psalms one nineteen, where where in there. The psalmist says, how I love the law and it is my meditation all day long. Here we're, we're, we're seeing the exact opposite out of the, these three scenes. Yes. The individuals had bad events 
that came into their lives that pretty much train wrecked everything. And they were really wrestling with the issue of God that hits all of us at some point. He was nodding in agreement with atheist Richard Dawkins, Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. What did he write? Yeah, he, he was that famous scientist. In a universe of electronic electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to are going to get lucky, and you don't won't find any rhyme or reason, in, nor any justice. The universe, as we observe it, was precisely the properties that we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but fine pitless indifference. See. That's the view of an atheist, that in this world of evolution, you can't say there's real good. You can't say there's really anything bad. There's no justice. And we should expect no design, no purpose, no evil, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, the second person had bad people come into her life. And that, of course, was her own husband who was in the ministry. And she was locking arms with Gandhi. What did he say? Yeah, it was interesting. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christian. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. A lot of people leave the church not because of the view of Christ in the Bible, but because of their view of Christians in the church. And that's really sad because what do Christians confess in a proper liturgy? Well, it's, it's right at the beginning of our liturgy where we confess our sins before God, all our sins, whether we know them or don't know them. We, we confess that we are sinners. Exactly. And, and so you get people who are able to explain why these people have these positions, like that third person who had morals well up within her life. And she settled into a position articulated well by Aldous Huxley, in his book, Ends and Means. What did he write in that book? I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. And for myself, as no doubt most, most of my friends, the philosophy of meaningless was essentially an instrumental of liberation for a certain system of morality. We reject, we object, objected to the morality because of its interference with our sexual freedom. That's really an interesting quote from Aldous Oxley, where he is saying that life is meaninglessness, and that actually liberated him 
from a system of morality that the Bible has. And so he objected to the morality of the Bible, as he said, because it interfered with our sexual freedom. So Shoemaker goes on, when you talk with these three people and others in their same shoes long enough, you have different reasons why they don't like God, but they have one thing in common. And what is that, Wes? <laughs> there is no God. And they hate him. Now, that's really an interesting insight. For example, the guy at the funeral went on about why God could not exist. And this was also where he was furious with this God that did not exist. And also with the two women that he described. That's a strange feeling to have something you don't think exists. What's an example he gives where people don't get angry when they discover something doesn't exist? <laughs> yeah, I found it interesting. No one gets mad at Santa Claus because they don't give what they want at Christmas. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I'm pretty sure I was told about Santa Claus when I was a kid but I can't remember the time when I discovered he didn't really exist. I, I don't feel I had any sadness about it or anything. Do you remember the time when you realized that Santa Claus didn't exist? Well, pretty much we were told by relatives and, and others that, that he didn't. I mean, I like to tell the story of my son, Peter, we were at a Dale's bread store and stopped uh, for for some bread. And at the checkout, the lady said to my son, who was six years old at the time, that is he ready for Santa Claus to come to his house? And he wouldn't answer her. And I finally realized what he was thinking. And I go, you can tell her she, she knows the secret. And he goes... Man, there is no Santa Claus. It's about the story of the birth of Jesus, our Savior. Wow. Yeah. You know, a lot of stores try and train their people, don't say Merry Christmas, say Happy Holiday. And I always, when somebody says that to me in the store, I say, oh, you, you mean Merry Christmas, don't you? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's not just a happy holiday. Now, Pastor Doug Wilson was a theologian who debated the late atheist Christopher Hitchens on multiple occasions. And he said that after debating him and hearing from other atheists, that they always had two declarations this is from atheists. What were the two declarations? I, I found it interesting. 
on the one hand, there is no God. On the other hand, they hate him. Yes, isn't that interesting that you hate that which you don't believe exists? Now, the Bible talks about the mind of the unbeliever being hostile toward God. That's Romans 8, verse 7. And rage being directed against the Creator. That's Psalm 2, 1 to 3. But there's something more that's going on here, he says. What is that? Well, it's a mindset that we're not getting what we want and deserve and are angry about it. Yes. In his message, Mercy, Not Sacrifice, Tim Keller talks about two atheists he knows who aren't married and are fuming over their singleness. Not just distress, they're mad about him. What did they tell him? They told him that others who aren't as good or kind or thoughtful, you know, so to speak, that they, they have spouses and they feel that it is so unfair that they don't have spouses. Now that's really interesting coming from two atheists who don't believe in God, that life is unfair. How do you get unfair from life if you are an atheist? All you have to do is go back to the atheist Dawkins, what he had said, that the universe is a, well, nothing but electrons and selfish genes. And the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. No design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And here's these two atheists angry at life even though they don't believe in God. In other words, they don't have spouses and they think that is unfair. But how do you get unfair from life if you're an atheist? Because an atheist doesn't believe that life is fair anyway. The fact is people in their sho shoes know deep down what? Well, there's power behind life, and they're mad because that power hasn't delivered them from, or they racked with guilt over the behavior because of the built-in moral law that we have in the Creator, Romans chapter 2. I found that interesting, a re referral to that the law is, is already in our hearts. Yes. Romans 2, 14 and 15. And these atheists are racked with guilt over their lifestyle because of the built-in moral law that the Bible says is already there. And so they hate the moral law. 
That's why I believe a lot of young people are leaving the church because they don't like the moral law of the church. And therefore, they get angry at God who they don't think exists. That's really interesting. Nobody gets angry when they figure out that Santa Claus doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis is often quoted, and he says something in Mere Christianity. What is that? Well, the more you obey your conscience, the more your conscience will demand of you. And your natural self, which is thus being starved and hampered and worried at every turn, gets angrier and angrier. Yeah, that reminds me of that atheist, Auden, who became a Christian. And when he was asked, why did you become a Christian? Why did you leave atheism? He said, because when I learned about Jesus, I discovered he doesn't fulfill any of my dreams and hopes. And of course, he was talking about what C.S. Lewis is talking about, the dreams and hopes of his natural self, his sinful self. It's being starved and hampered and worried at every turn. And therefore, an atheist becomes angrier and angrier at a God that he doesn't believe exists. So what is a person in this enraged state? What is he supposed to do? Well, the first step, and it's going to be a hard one, is to work towards the realization that there is no existential mismatch between the hardships and moral temptations we experience in life and all power loving and omnipotent God. You just scan the Bible and you'll see bad events, people and moral struggles everywhere in its pages. This is really important that there is no existential mismatch. You showed that this morning. You got up and you were cold. What did God give you? Uh, coat to put on. Exactly. So we may have many hardships, but sometimes it becomes obvious how God solves those hardships. Now, other times it doesn't. The, the scripture isn't shy about showcasing all that and yet still declaring a sovereign creator. What did Jesus say in John 16, verse 33? Well, John 16 says, I've overcome the world. After, what did he say in Matthew 6, 34? Well, each day has enough troubles of its own. It kind of reminds me of the story of Joseph and and the troubles he went through till. Finally, it came out okay, and when he forgave his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's a really good example, Wes, because what we have here, Joseph is hated by his brothers. Even his father and mother speak against him because of his dreams, and then he's thrown into a pit, then he's taken into slavery, 
Then a woman lies. He's thrown into prison. He helps two people in prison with their dreams, but he's not helped by them until Pharaoh has a dream. And the one man remembers that Joseph is able to tell him his dream. And then when he tells Pharaoh the dream and about the famine that is coming to Egypt, Pharaoh puts him in charge. And look at all the things he went through. Uh, and yet there was still a sovereign creator who was taking care of him, who said, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul kind of backs that up with Romans 8.37. What does he say there? Well, he lists all kinds of how mass followed by these words. Good in all th these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who has loved us. So we conquer all through Christ. Yes. So the article talks about things come in threes. I'm not sure if there's an another angry person headed my way who has had it with God. But if there is, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to be patient and hear them out, knowing that we all get disappointed with God from time to time and take the time to be to, to hear him out. And, of course, I would say share the gospel. Yes. Do you agree with that statement that we all get disappointed with God from time to time? I think we all do. It kind of reminds me of, of the saying that you had before, of, of sin that's in, in all of our lives. What's the middle letter of sin is I. I want more. And pride. Pride, yeah. Right in the middle of pride is that word I. So... We get, this is important to understand, we get disappointed with God, even though we may not be thinking about God. We may not get the house we wanted or the car we wanted or some possession that we were looking forward to. I, I would always go uh, at Christmas early to the stores. They would have something on sale that I've always wanted. And when I get there, guess what? It was all sold out. Exactly. And I, I, I get a little angry. I'm really getting angry with God, even though I don't think of it in that way. So we are disappointed with God from time to time. But what is the great thing about God? Uh, he's very forgiving. You know, it, it reminds me of all of this of Psalms 119, where your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. But before that, I love your law. It is a meditation for me all day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. And for, for us as Christians, we have to take ourselves back to the word. 
I remember Dr. Martin Charlemagne. He was a wonderful professor of New Testament theology and the Greek. But he once told us what his favorite Bible verse was in the entire Bible. And it was an Old Testament verse. It was from the prophet Habakkuk. And in his book, he lets his fury fly towards heaven in one passage. But then he received insight from heaven itself. He recovered and he ended his book with a statement of hope and trust that was the favorite Bible verse of Dr. Martin Charlemagne and has mm -hmm. also become my favorite Bible verse. It's Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Would you tell us what that says? Ah, it's the same one as Robin's. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there is no fruit on the vine, and though the yield of the olive tree should fail and fields produce no food, though the flocks should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. See, he says it doesn't matter what's happening on the farm. The olive tree can fail, the fields produce no food, the flock be cut off, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet he will exalt in the Lord. He will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's what every Christian can say. Regardless of the grief you're going through, the suffering you're going through, Jesus is the one. What did he do? to redeem us, Wes? Well, of course, he, Christ went the way of the cross for us. He took all our sins upon him and gave to us life that whether it was from Adam and Eve to, to our day or to the future, Christ is for salvation. Well, thanks so much for this wonderful article that has an insight I had never thought about that atheists are so angry they hate God who they don't believe exists. And it shows how they have God within them as a knowledge, even though they deny him. Join me tomorrow for continuation of Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.